Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics Podcast for the Savage Critics website. In our first of two extra-long installments, we spend a whole lot of time discussing the limits of our podcasting abilities, or inabilities, actually, as well as the unexpected marital complications brought on by this year's Free Comic Book Day. But once we finally start talking about comics full-on, we cover Kirby's Fourth World, as interpreted by Grant Morrison and Walt Simonson, as well as works by Kate Beaton, Dash Shaw, Chris Ware, and the upcoming projects of Alan Moore. We hope you enjoy it, and thanks for listening. Hello? Graham, hello. Hello there, you can hear me then. I can hear you quite well. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you fine. I was just doing the um, test call to make sure that I could be heard. Oh yeah, no, you sound great. Do you have a new headset or something? Uh, no, I just sound wonderful. I just sound this good normally. <laughs> Don't you all, though? You always do. I, I know. I, I can't help it. It just comes naturally. Me sounding awesome. <laughs> it is true. Unless you ask Michael Aronson, in which case, you know. Oh, yeah. He's he's not happy at all, is he? <laughs> no, really. Not, uh, not even the least. I'm like, thank you for your feedback. Uh... It is contr- that said, though, it's better feedback than I'm getting on CBR. There's a guy on CBR whose name I've entirely forgotten. It's Dave something who mm-hmm. hates me. Like, J.K. did a, a post where he said, you know, this is what's happening on Robot 6 and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And Graham McMillan's going to be joining us and we're happy to have him. He did blog at Newsarama with us. And this guy in the comments is like, you're bringing on McMillan? I hate you. I hate him. But you still hate Marvel Comics? Fuck him. And, like, and my voice, I didn't even see that. And J.K. emails me and he's like, have you pissed this guy off? And I was like, no, I don't even know who he is. <laughs> That is awesome. I mean, it's awesome to me because, of course, really, although I know that it's the sort of thing that mortifies you, the idea that anyone could hate you is, I've decided, comical. Like, it just seems really impossible to me. Well, I'm glad that's how you feel about it. I (laughs) I just feel somewhat mortified, as you said. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. I can certainly see where that would not be your thing. But, uh, you know, better him than uh, Matt Fraction, right? So, um... For all we know, Matt still hates me, so... Oh, really? I would have thought I, that you I, guys... I don't know. I've, I've, not, I've not heard from him. No. I mean, I, that said, I didn't even hear from him that he hated me. That all came second hand, so... Right. So, I, I don't know. Hmm. I was kind of hoping that that would be one of your, like, Stumptown stories that, like... No, no, my, my Stumptown stories are literally, I didn't see anyone I wanted to see... The only that's not true. I saw lots of people that I wanted to see, but everyone I saw lives in Portland. See, that's what I was kind of expecting you would say. So, like, you saw like the Periscope Studios people. Yeah, I, I saw like and... Steve Lieber, and I saw Douglas, and I saw Laura, and I saw Caleb from Comics Alliance, who's just moved to Portland. Oh, wow. uh, hmm. I saw the panel that I didn't speak with um, Erica Moon and Meredith Grant, which was great. They did, they did a self-publishing panel, which was really really interesting. Oh, great. Uh, um, uh, but I mean, I didn't see Kate Beaton. She was gone by the time I found her table. Oh. I didn't see Paul Pope. He was gone by the time I found his table. What? Uh, I, I saw but didn't speak to Hope Larson because anytime I went close to Hope Larson's table, she was mobbed. I oh, mean, that's great. I felt like, but I felt like I would have been an asshole just being like, Pope, hi. You know, <laughs> I, I Twitter with you and I met you a couple of years ago at Ape. Do you know what I mean? Like, I felt like that would be a sort of asshole behavior. No, uh, what, what, that you met somebody and you've Twittered with them, it would be assholish to come up and say hi? Well, no, to interrupt conversations is what I mean. Oh, like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, like, no, to go no, and break no. it and be like, hi. Um, I, yeah, I mean, literally everyone I spoke to, mm-hmm. with the exception of um, Bill Mudron, who did the uh, Oceanic Airlines flight safety manual, uh, oh. which is hilarious. And if it's somewhere online, I'll have to find a link and send it to you because... I mean, it's literally the, don't do this, do this, in a, in a safety manual. And one of them is, um, I think, Sawyer hitting Ben as the don't. And the do is, don't be Ben Linus. <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny, funny stuff. Um, he's, the only, he's the only guy I spoke to that I do not speak to on a regular basis. Right. Right. Uh... Uh, but much more enjoyable, um, actually, I have to admit, was the underground launch party the underground trade launch party a couple of nights earlier oh yeah and um, jeff parker and steve lieber threw a party 
for what was supposed to be the launch of the underground trade from Image, but it was delayed. <laughs> so it was a launch party for a book that didn't exist. And they were both mortified about that. They were really, really embarrassed. But, you know, it wasn't their fault at all. It, it's one of these, you know, the publisher fucked up and the printer won't be able to get it to them for a week things. Right. But they were mortified that the party was going ahead, but everyone had a great time. And, yeah, you know, I talking to all these people that I, you know, I kind of know, but rarely see. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. Ah, well that's... Stumptown Stump itself was just a, hey, it's Douglas, hey, it's Laura, you know? <laughs> <laughs> although, although, Douglas Wolk did have a preview of um, Marvel Comics Free Comic Book Day comic written by Paul Tobin. Have I told you about this? No, no, no. So, Marvel Comics Free Comic Book Day written by Paul Tobin stars Iron Man, Nova, and Kate McMillan. What? And Kate McMillan looks like Kate. Oh my god. And I knew this was coming. I actually read the script um, a while ago because Paul was, you know, sent script and was like, this is really, you know, what do you think? And I was like, this is very funny. And I think he was kind of like, you know, would she be offended? Um, but no, so Douglas was like, have you seen the com- the finished comic? And we're like, we've not seen the finished comic. It looks like Kate. <laughs> oh my god. It's, so it's wonderful. You have to go and pick it up. Um, hello. Oh, yes. Also, the other thing I should tell you about it is, it's Iron Man and Nova and Kate teaming up against the Red Ghost and the Super Apes. Oh my god. I love the Red Ghost and the Super Apes. <laughs> I know. So, it, I mean, even if Kate wasn't in it, it might be your favorite comic. It, it would be, yeah, it'd be right up there anyway. Like oh, Iron Man and Nova, which I, you know, it's just wonderful. That is fantastic. Are you a little worried that your wife's likeness is now owned by Marvel Comics, however? Uh, I hadn't actually thought about that. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you for making me realize that Kate now belongs to Disney. That's right. Not to you. <laughs> Wow. Okay, then. I don't know how I feel about that. (laughs) You think they're doing you a friendly favor? The next thing you know, your wife is actually being sued uh, for infringing on the trademark of herself. Yeah, exactly. It happens a lot. (laughs) Well, I'm in Gotham Central from years ago. Oh, are you? That's not true. My name is, and it's Mm -hmm. Miss the Gray Misspelt. The the uh, AJM wait, uh, and it's no likeness of me at all. But Ed Brubaker used my name in Gotham Central a few years ago. Ah, that's very awesome. We're divided by the comic book publisher rift. Get <laughs> I? <laughs> wow, it's like some sort of uh, romantic uh, star-crossed lovers. It's, it's Romeo and Juliet um, for people who can really get upset about Marvel and DC being <laughs> companies. <laughs> well my goodness i guess we'll have to call this the marital problems podcast it's, exactly uh, and we should probably be like hello listeners at this point because we've talked to seven about seven minutes already and we haven't said like hello and welcome to the podcast and everything but i'm not sure we've ever said that have we i'm i'm now saying thinking we should i've been listening to a lot of podcasts lately um because when i'm not blogging for spinoffonline.com everyone <laughs> um I've I've been painting the house. Uh, mm. Painting the outside house. So I've been listening to a lot of podcasts as a way of keeping my brain going while doing that. Um, and a lot of the podcasts I've been listening to, I've been marveling at their professionalism at, at the opening. Because oh. at the opening, it's you know you have to edit in the part where you're like, "Hello and welcome to Wait What," and mm. you know, and you've got the music and and the whole thing. And every other podcast I listen to, like, in the middle of the conversation, they're like, hi, welcome to the Blah 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 podcast. And I was thinking, we should do that. And then, of course, we didn't. I just started talking to you, and then... Wait, we just did. You're saying that every other podcast, like, introduces themselves in the middle of the conversation? Like, well, you just well, did that, right? But I, when I say in the middle, I mean, like, you know, in the first minute, as opposed to nine minutes into it. Oh, I see. Well, but, okay. I mean, admittedly, I'm like, but I do that whole, like... Dude, and we've that, got intro I, I know, music. I know. Oh, by the way, I should tell you. Yes. Um, so, for everyone listening, we are recording this the day after I put up the first of the last batch of podcasts, which was a struggle, as Jeff knows. Yes. Um, Kate ended up getting very involved in making sure it went up. And in fact, if you go to Savage Critic, there's actually a player in the post now, so you can listen to it. 
Oh, that's great. Yeah. I was wondering what that little clicking yeah, button it's, was. Yeah, it's a, it's a player, which Kate made sure it was in, because she got very upset at the concept of people having to click through and wait for their browser to, like, pick up QuickTime or something. Right. Um, but because of that, Kate listened to our podcast for the first time. Kate's never listened to really? Wait What before, oh ever. And so this morning, we're uh, we're talking about the fact that I'm going to be talking to you today. Mm-hmm. And Kate's like, oh, that's good. I really enjoyed the podcast. And I was like, that's good. And she goes, and I really enjoy the music. Mm. And I was like, yeah, J- Jeff picked the music out. It's Trent Reznor. And she was like, really? And I said, yes. And then she went, I really like the podcast, but you talk over Jeff too much. You just interrupt him all the time. Oh, no. Oh, that is so sweet. But that is so not true. That is not true at all. I was just like, oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> and then she, like, brought in Iron Man and Nova, and they made you promise exactly. never and to they, do and that And they again. were like, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's it's one of those things where I, I think that I think that Edie would enjoy listening to the podcast too, although it's just you know, it's so insider baseball y for the most part. You know, well, she's like, I try and then That's what I thought. And Kate, who doesn't know Siege, you know, at all. Mm-hmm. She was listening to the episode where we're talking about Siege and we're talking about Bendis and and all that. Um and she was like, yeah, I, I didn't really care that I didn't understand what you're talking about because I just enjoyed hearing the two of you try to crack each other up. <laughs> Well, and that is, I think, the 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 podcast secret power. Actually. Exactly that that is the key to our success. <laughs> that, that's all we try and do. We just yeah. try and make each other laugh. Yeah, whenever possible. Uh, this, this, at... this is because we never are up to date with the comics when oh, we record it. Exactly. And the time it goes live, it's a month later. Yeah. Because, you know, You've taken a week to answer that, and I've taken like two weeks to actually put it up in the site, and so no one would remember the comics anyway. Yeah, exactly. Well, and and this is this is my promise to our gentle readers that I will uh, actually be editing this this weekend, um, and then turn it around very quickly. So hopefully it'll all be. Oh wow, the pressure's on me then to post it. I know not to just fuck around and then (laughs) you know get really pissed off and not put it up because that's what happened last last bunch of podcasts. I'm like. I'm going to get this on iTunes. I'm going to get a player installed. I'm going to get this on iTunes. Because David Brothers was like, it's really simple. He's like, here's a plugin. Right. And I was like, that's what I'm going to do. And the plugin he sent just does not work with WordPress for some reason. <laughs> it's like, no, no. And eventually it was like, I'm going to start just like fucking up your WordPress. I'm going to start making posts disappear. <laughs> whole thing. <laughs> at, at which point... I've already got iTunes to accept the podcast feed. Oh, no. Okay? Right. So because of that, if you go to iTunes right now and look up Savage Critics, you'll find a podcast, but you won't actually find the podcast. You'll find an old entry of Abe's that has an MP3 file in it that is a song he references, and you'll find the song. What? It will play the song that he was talking about in December when he was talking about Lou Beater. Beetle, even. It will not play any of our podcasts <laughs> which aren't there it will play this song so this is going on and I'm literally like swearing at the computer I'm like I don't understand what you are doing wrong I don't I don't stop it just work just work that's all I ask just please God and it will not do it so I, I was like fuck it I'm just going to stop and I'll do it again tomorrow and suddenly tomorrow was like a week later and you're emailing me going, I gave you those podcasts, right? <laughs> and I was like, oh, fuck, so you did. <laughs> and so that's how the podcast gets made. Everyone. That's right. That's right. At least if if you're going to do it very wrong. So we're going to try and get better at that. Is is David going to do the help with the iPod? tunes placement well, this weekend still or no or? she has sorted it out i've still got to check okay. uh, she, she thinks she's fixed it that that would be excellent and then people actually be able to like download his itunes and would be like a real podcast i know we're sort of the cheap knockoff of a podcast and that people are like i have to listen to it through your website what you know so yeah I, I love the idea that we'll like be on iTunes and suddenly like there will be lots of people who will finally get a chance to discover it and 
hear us like talk about comics that are even more out of date than when we actually recorded the podcast itself. Well, the crazy thing is, I mean, at WonderCon, did you talk to anyone who asked us about the podcast? Because I had three conversations about the podcast at WonderCon. Did you three? Were they three? Like Lauren Davis, Mm -hmm. uh, Carla Hoffman. Excellent. And I can't remember who the third one was. And all of them were, we can't listen to your podcast because ever since you changed servers, the links are broken. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I, I suddenly realized, because uh, Tim Callahan said the same on the Splash Page, pod, page podcast. Um, and I've told you that story, right, that I was listening to Splash Page and all of a sudden I realized they were talking about you and me. No, you didn't tell me that. I, I was listening to uh, Splash Page. I, I, I don't know if you listen to uh, Tim and Chad's podcast. And I listen to it like when I this I listen to podcasts when I'm doing something like right. I'll be doing dishes or I'll be doing laundry or I'll be painting house or whatever, mm-hmm. and I, it you know it's on in my headphones. And it's one of those things where like I'm thinking about something else and I suddenly realize that Tim Callahan is saying my name, and I'm like, what? No, that can't be right. So so I I pull back and, and all of a sudden uh, Chad is talking about wait what? And Tim's like I've never heard it because none of their links were. <laughs> I was like, I kind of feel that sums up the entire Wait What. Because, <laughs> you know, Tim, is, Tim and Chad are, are smart guys. And, mm-hmm. you know, their podcast is, you know, regular and timely and intelligent conversation. And I felt that Tim's first acknowledgement of our existence complaining that we can't even get around together to have unbroken wings. I was like, Yes! We have arrived. <laughs> That's it, people. It gets no better than this. Um, well, actually, you know, there uh, there's a sub subscriber at uh, Comics Experience, uh, Chris, who sent me an email like back in February, who was really, really super sweet because he mentioned that he had downloaded uh, all the podcasts and listened to them all uh, driving from uh, San Francisco to Los Angeles. (laughs) Well, if the drive didn't kill him, apparently um, he he still managed to hold on to his sanity despite listening to us for that entire time. But he was like, yeah, I really enjoyed them. And are you guys going to record more and let me know? And he actually showed up at the, the comics experience anniversary party and introduced himself. And, and then said, no, really, are, are you going to make more? Or... <laughs> <laughs> you didn't respond to my email, Jeff. I, I thought I had to come and ask you a question. I mean, <laughs> just sitting there thinking, this is awkward. Uh, how, how do I say no? But the funny thing was, you know, at WonderCon, people are saying this to us. And I was saying... I swear to God, we've recorded another one. We just haven't put it up yet. (laughs) And it sounded like the worst excuse ever. (laughs) No, really, really. It's like like a a Dangerous Visions anthology. No, 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 no. I I finished finished it up. Yeah, it's really done. We just haven't put it out. (laughs) It's going to be the best one ever. It's like uh, Mark Miller. You know, it's like, oh, Hitch is is four issues ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Did you see me refer to... I don't know if it's... Because I, I wrote all the posts for the new ones um, yesterday, even though they haven't all gone live yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in one of them, I do compare us to Miller and Hitch. Oh, God. No, you did not. Uh, I, did. It, I have not seen that yet. Because I am obviously Mark Miller. I've got the accent, which means you are Brian Hitch, which means that anytime someone gives you a task, you have to take a longer time doing the tasks than anyone expects and mm-hmm. also do it much larger. Oh, yeah. Well, um, I can do some variation of that. As long as you leave out the talent part or the really good-looking oh, part, oh, I should be able is, to take is this. Is Hitch good-looking? I thought so. I I, 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 I don't think I've seen him. I, I would not know. Maybe I'm getting... You know what? I'm getting confused with uh, uh, John Cassidy, who's... Oh, a, who, is, who is... Yeah, who is very good-looking. Dreamboat. Yeah, he's... Uh, but uh, also, disturbingly looks just like the drummer, and that kind of pissed me off, I have to admit. Oh, Really? Yeah, because it's like in Planetary, people are like, hey, the drummer, he's really cool and kind of dreamy. And then you see John Castle, and you're like, fuck you, you just made that character so people would fall in love with you. What? No, I, I kind of thought that the drummer was the one that everyone was talking shit about. Like, you know, Elijah Snow's always like talking about how he's like a. But it's Elijah Snow. Listen, if you're on the same suicide girl in sports that I am, it's John Cassidy and the drummer that everyone loves. <laughs> 
Well, that's one of the more mortifying revelations I think I've ever heard. <laughs> I honestly was going to follow up with, are there actually boards for Suicide Girls? I have no idea. It's one of the Suicide Dropper efforts that I'm like, this could be like, you know, on the Steampunk Amish board. And then I'm like, that, that's... <laughs> Steampunk Amish board. <laughs> they'll, they'll, have, they'll have message boards, right? Not the, not the Amish, the Suicide Girls, I mean. Oh, the Suicide... Yeah, thanks for clarifying. Because um, I know the Amish wouldn't. You know, you would actually I, be surprised I, about the Amish. I had my same... Um, getting back to WonderCon, I had my same reaction about Suicide Girls at um, WonderCon that I always have whenever I see them at the convention, which is always... First of all, that they're entirely taking advantage of the men there who act as if like they're some sort of goddesses because they have no social skills whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And secondly, the Suicide Girls always look simultaneously bored to be there and excited to be there. At the same time, it really freaks me out. Yeah. No, I, it, it's, uh, it's, it's a very uh, skilled craft. I, I think for the most part, they are probably really excited to be there. It's just the entire... Um, is, is it like the aesthetic? They have to be bored? I'm not sure if it's necessarily an aesthetic. I, my theory is is that um, anyone who takes off their clothes for a quote-unquote living, after a certain amount of time, the defensive armor sort of manifests itself oh just it becomes like yeah just completely second nature like i don't even think that they're aware that they are giving off an an aura of like i'm bored and judging you you know like i don't i don't think that they even know they're doing harshly oh yes (laughs) not just judging you (laughs) um the last thing i'm going to say about suicide girls which i actually know nothing about beyond like warren ellis um is I was reading, um, as I want to do, uh, Kirby's Fourth World last night. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Hold on. I just want to savor this, because it's like Suicide Girls, No, no, this will, this will make sense. I oh, know it will, but I just want to sit here I and... This will make sense. Um, and I was thinking about the Forever People and how you would do a Forever People for today. Mm-hmm. And Beautiful Dreamer would have to be like a Suicide Girl, wouldn't she? Like she'd have to be that sort of thing, the the like um the like intentionally trashy glamour thing. Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, because like I, I got really stuck because I was like, I know that okay, that's beautiful dreamer modern modernized quote unquote. Right. Um, for Viking the Black, you'd have to go with some form of hip hop iconography. Okay. Um, you would like, who? Uh, uh, that's not true. Whoever was doing it would, shall we? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Seraph, oh god, I can't remember, is Seraph fan? Is that his name? I, I think it is, yeah. The cowboy? Um, in my did mind... You, did you gets... say the Care Bear? Is that what you said? Cow, cowboy. Oh, the cowboy. <laughs> the Care Bear. I'm like, whoa, okay, it, you've modernized it, this too much now. <laughs> in my mind, he gets translated into a Portland hipster. <laughs> the plaid shirts... The big sideburns, the overgrown hair. Oh my god. That or he gets turned into like a member of Kings of Leon. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like somewhere between the two is where they go. But I'm completely lost with what you do with Mark Moonrider and Big Bear. Um you make them super gay and one's a bear and one's yeah, kind of a twink, I guess. Yeah, really? I mean, is that is because I was like, you could make Big Bear a bear, and then I thought, no. But is that, like, the the equivalent of saying, well, Viking has to be, like, under 3,000 from outcast? Is is that, like, this, the cultural equivalent? I mean, see, that's the that's the thing that's kind of, um, I guess, exasperating, is, is that it's, uh, you know, there, there's such a thin line between it's like, you, you know, you're trying to bring these characters up to date, and then suddenly you've somehow overshot, and it's just, like, weird, uncomfortable parody type stuff, you know what I mean? Like Yeah, but at the same time, the Fervor people are always kind of a parody. No, I mean, that's it. I mean, they were, I, I think the, the part that I really like about your idea for it is is that Kirby was out of touch and doing his best approximation of the youth culture at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I think the thing that would be really charming about doing the forever people is, is that if they're not quite right, you know, like the suicide 
girl zeitgeist has kind of yeah it's like been you, it's been and gone i mean really it's like five years ago right right so which is I, why which is why it has that's what she has to be mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. do you know what i mean like because it's the same way that like viking in my mind has to be andre from outcast because again that's like five years ago right it, it has to be something that's not contemporary but it's in the same breath somehow iconic right um, right, which which may be part of the problem why Big Bear and and Mark Moonrider are kind of because they're sort of like where are they? You know, they're kind of like the big hairy guys, at least in the case of Big Bear. But yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, it's kind of uh, you know is is when you started talking about it, I kind of thought what you were going to go is in the direction of uh, having. Darkseid's female furies be, you know, like the Suicide Girls, you know, and and kind of like, and that that's a that would sell better, and b <laughs> that that's why you're the better writer than me because I, I I wouldn't have thought about that at all. No, no, no. I I, I although it kind of makes sense because isn't that pretty much what um, Morrison did in Final Crisis? I mean, yeah. Mor- Morrison, and I don't know if this is like intentional in what he does. But I feel that every single time Morrison does Fourth World, he makes it, he really, really, really makes it much more um, fetishistic. Right. I mean, it, like, almost comedically so. I mean, look at his Mary Marvel. It's insane. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that actually this is, um, I always sort of thought that for, you know, a guy who's always um, going on and on about pop culture, I, I always felt that Morrison's fourth world stuff was a little bit of a, a poisoned love letter in that regard. And the dark side stuff is like, it's kind of, like you said, Mary Marvel is just sort of really fetishized up, but it's, it's almost like it's an attempt to be, um, uh, uh, you know, whatever is kind of popular. Like I remember that the Mr. Miracle stuff is like, and even in final crisis too, like dark side's kind of associated with having a club. You know what I mean? Like, there's kind of a a weird like he's the dark edge of pop culture. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I, the more the, the more I've been reading um, or rereading Kirby stuff, mm-hmm. the more I think that, and I love Morrison's take in Fourth World. I I really enjoy it, but I think mm-hmm. he completely has missed the point of a lot of characters. I mean, I think his dark side is a great villain, but it's not Kirby's. I mean, it's not dark side. Right. He, he's much more Kirby's dark side is much less um, much less negative I guess mm-hmm. I mean the, Kirby's dark side is much more complex than, than Morrison's Morrison's is a concept made real right whereas Kirby's is a character he really is a character and he's also a character that you can't quite grasp like he's he really is a mythic figure to me because you do see like, you know, Kirby takes the time. He lays out the past. He actually gives dark side, you know, a, a mate and of course a, a child, but he's very like, there's a lot of times where he shows up like that great scene where he shows up and he reprimands the forever people. Essentially, yes, exactly. You know, I think that, um, I think that dark side actually has kind of a great, like I, I sometimes wonder if Darkseid isn't actually Jack Kirby's own conception of his own kind of Darkseid. Like he is kind of a crotchety old guy who does not get youth culture and basically believes that they are doomed and foolish. Like you know, like almost like an actor playing a part. This is part of the part of Kirby that sort of looks at it and believes that nothing ever changes. Um, because Darkseid's kind of weirdly, he's like, he's a very smart guy. He's very much allied with technology, and yet he's also um, uh, very much considered to be like a soldier and a warrior. And he's very much a, like a, a an ambitious survivor character, you know. What I find entirely lacking in Morrison's Darkseid that I think is the entire point of Kirby's is. Twofold. One, that he's very paternal. I think it's impossible to read more than a couple of issues of um, Kirby's Fourth World and not get the dark side as a father. Yes, absolutely. And also that 
especially by by the time he's doing Hunger Dogs, um, Darkseid's completely he's he's an old man. Yeah, he's an old man at war with himself and the and the times and his own army as much mm-hmm. as anything. Yes, at war with the war. He he he's not. It's Morrison's dark side is, you know, I am trying to destroy all free will. Right. And Kirby's isn't. Kirby's is Kirby's might have started out like that before the stories began. Mm-hmm. But by the time the stories began, he is someone who does not particularly enjoy what he's doing. Mm-hmm. He's resigned to what he's doing, but he does not take any he does not take the pleasure in it that Morrison gives him. Morrison has Dark Side being this complete villain who will make speeches before he tries to kill that man and the speeches are essentially haha you have lost i won i'm infinite right and kirby's but dark side wouldn't have done that. kirby's dark side might have given a speech because it was kirby and you know the speech would have had quotation marks around half the words yes but the speech would have been something about honor and why he did not want to kill this valiant foe who he respected Right. Well, there's that, or there's a there's a sense that he is, like, there's kind of a weird pragmatism to Darkseid. Like, Darkseid is pretty much kind of, like, a lot of his speeches revolve around the idea of, like, well, there's always going to be evil in the world, and I, I am it. But the more the series goes on, the more you kind of get the idea that, that he's like, I, it's got to be somebody, so it might as well be me. You know, yeah. um, and and so he's kind of he's always giving, you know, that great thing where he talks about him being the tiger force and things, mm-hmm. you know, that really strikes at the idea that he is um, he is a conflict. He's literally conflict. But I don't think that Kirby sees conflict quite in the and therefore I am evil type of way you know it's kind of like there's something where it almost skirts on the verge of being a necessary evil and yet evil at the same time yes but but also there's something about Kirby's fourth world that no one else apart from maybe Simonson has done mm-hmm. which is given the impression that it's it's something that has to happen Yes. That it is not a good versus evil thing at all. It is a struggle that has to happen. Yes. That there is a balance and everyone is playing a predetermined role and they may chafe against that role, but there's a purpose to them playing the role. Right. Right. Exactly. Which is, um, and you know, it's, I mean, this is the thing. As much as I sort of fault Morrison's for not being sort of on target with Kirby, I think the smartest thing that he did was taking the fourth world characters and reinventing them. Because I remember being super excited by Simonson's Orion book um, for like, I don't know, maybe the first eight issues or something like that. And I just really kind of got bored. Like, Oh, you, you, you missed out. I know. And that's, that's, I certainly have seen some of the, the other pieces online that make me feel like I should jump back to it. But at the time, it was just a, it was just a completely conventional structure that I just didn't have much interest in. You know, uh, I I only I read Orion when it was finished, and I got like all the issues at once, and, mm-hmm. and sat down mm-hmm. and read whatever twenty five right. issues or whatever it is. Um, I can't imagine reading it not like that. I think it's something that if DC ever, you know, thought let's put it all into one big book. Right. You'd you'd enjoy it much more. Um, it really gets going after spoilers. Darkseid is killed. Right. I think that's actually the issue where I stopped, or the issue right after, where it's like you know Orion has beat Darkseid and he's going to take over Apocalypse, and it's a it's a brilliant idea. I'm like, ah, oh, this is such a great. This is perfect. And yet, I read one issue of it, and I was just like, huh, I can't I can't sign on for this, and I don't I don't know why such a long I mean, time ago. Again, going to completely spoil it for you, what happens is he does and Apocalypse corrupts him to the point where he then takes over Earth. Mm-hmm. And he, he thinks all along he's doing the right thing. Right. But yeah, I mean, that's a really I mean, smart the, way the, to look at the it. The anti-life but... equation 
he ends up in control of the anti-life equation and the anti-life equation completely fucks him up. And, and the second half of the series is essentially him atoning for what he did um, and dealing with the fact that stepping into dark side shoes means becoming dark side. Right. Kind, kind of what we were talking about just now. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's, it's, it's really good. And what I like about Simonson as a writer, um, especially when he's doing Kirby stuff, because I think he starts the same way, is that he does this magical epic scope Mm-hmm. With, but continually just undercuts it with humor. Right. He, he he finds himself unable to play it straight, and it's the not playing it straight that makes it wonderful. Right. Well, which is very much the sort of that that's the sort of the Lee Kirby push me pull you kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Um. It's not. It's not just that he's he's doing mostly Kirby, but he's remembering to throw in the Stan Lee in there, and I don't know why it doesn't strike my sweet spot. Like I always end up like having my mind blown by the first or even second arc that he does when he does a Kirby take thing. And then I just, I think maybe what happens is he can't keep up with the art and then he's, it starts becoming less him. But I remember both his amazing kind of first arc of course on Thor and on Fantastic Four I was like this is great I mean this is like an, uh, a super super home run and then at some point I guess I get really kind of something and uh, tired. I just trail out I don't know if it's necessarily tired I think it it's just something that's very um, I think maybe, maybe what it is is um an age thing for me of like having come into my own as a comic reader during the 70s like everybody like I just I missed the first Kirby Lee stuff the first time around and I even I'm sort of catching the tail end of you know you've got the you know John and Sal Basima drawing whatever they can and you've got Jerry Conway and Len Wen and Roy Thomas writing whatever they can. And then, of course, you've got, you know, Steve Englehart doing his stuff. And there's, you know, they're all like those stories. Technically, I am aware are not as good as what Simonson goes on to do. Um, You know, they've got their they've got their moments. But overall, he seems to have a very sustained period of excellence. On the other hand, um, Englehart, Gerber, maybe Conway to a certain degree, there's a there's a lot more reliance on kind of the 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 like normal I don't know I don't know how to describe it like like Simonson stuff even when he's got the humor that's undercutting it and he even will take secondary characters and develop their develop them and yet it's never in a way that I find interesting I always end up finding it kind of I, I like there's not a place in it for me that I can appreciate does that sound completely weird you're just wrong. <laughs> uh, I'm I, sure I, I am. I know. I, I I see entirely what you're saying. Um, and I think when you compare it to Len Wein or Jerry Conway or, or Engelhard, I think that's kind of an unfair comparison. Um, if only because they have the benefit of uh, of nostalgia, I guess. Well, there there's all matter of Marvel Essentials um, that I will pick up the latter volumes and not the earlier because, for example, X Men, mm-hmm. not not the the Claremont X Men, the the um, the original X Men. Right. I prefer the Arnold Drake Werner Roth stuff to the Lee and Kirby. Uh, wait, the how, where does the Roy Thomas fit in there? Because didn't he do before? A huge of it? Oh no, and then after. <laughs> right. See, that's why I'm like you're kind okay. of talking in a you know. Yeah, but I don't. I don't like the well it's not not true i like i don't like the thomas and adams run as much as i like the werner roth run Mm. because the werner roth run when i was a kid was being reprinted right and so things like the banshee and the mimic and cobalt man and that entire run even the ones i didn't read as a kid has this power for me that the thomas and adams stuff which is you know theoretically better comics doesn't well i i actually like thomas and is it is it roth who's the artist on that stuff then 
Um, who, at, who, at, at which point Roth, Roth takes Roth actually Roth takes over pretty much after Kirby. Right. So it's like Kirby. Uh, right. It's Lee and Kirby, and then it's Thomas and Roth for a good chunk of time. I thought. Yeah, and then it's Arnold Drake and Roth. Right. And yeah. then it's Roth and Thomas again for like an right. issue, and then it's Thomas and Adams. And and the Thomas and Adams stuff, I mean, Adams never really struck my sweet spot. I, I think I, I totally see what you're saying, and, and I agree that I think that I'm sort of the, the the victim of sort of my own nostalgia in a way. But I also feel that... Um, I don't know. I, I think that there's just kind of a, a, a slightly different tonal influence that sort of strikes me differently. Like, there's a lot of non-powered characters wandering around both Engelhart and Gerber's uh, work. Um, less so, of course, in Thomas and, and other people. And it, it just somehow kind of kept things... Like, I mean, one of the things I always appreciated about... Uh, the fourth world by Kirby is he, he never kind of keeps it tethered, but he does start with the idea that, you know, you've got the, the Orion gang and, um, you know, he has no idea where to go with them or what to do with them apart from having them show up and say their own names and what they do in conversation and then usually disappear. Mm-hmm. But that struck me as kind of, um, that's usually just where I always end up. It's, it's not, the most interesting place, but it's the place where it's like I'm always fascinated by the schlub, by by the non-powered schlub or the semi-powered schlub, you know, or the guy who's got a little bit of power and he's surrounded by dudes who are way more powerful than him. Um, and I kind of just... I, I guess it's just a little bit of a quirk for me. It's just something that I find that like I said, Simonson's ability to take something and blow it up larger and larger and larger is great. But at some point, I always feel like there's a point where I get ahead of the curve of where he's going with the storyline. And I'm kind of not as interested and it doesn't really play out in a way that sort of um, surprises me, I guess. And uh, I do feel that at least back when I was reading some of the stuff from the 70s, one of the things that does surprise me is that there's always kind of uh you know that faux stanley bathos uh, angle of it's you know the powerless that kind of end up resolving the whole situation or it's the you know the intervention of the person on the sidelines or it's you know captain stacy races in and gets killed and you know he's the one who ends up clearing the conflict kind of thing when i was a kid i didn't like it i just wanted more punching but the older i get the more i'm kind of like like I don't know to what extent it's in nostalgia and to what extent it's it's my own fetish, but I, I'm I'm going to blow your mind for a second. <laughs> I think I think if Simonson wasn't drawing the stories that you're talking about that you don't like, you would get that from his writing. Mm. I think mm-hmm. Simonson's art is so stylized and so powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, by which I mean. The way that it looks, he all he always goes for the big. Simonson can't play a scene down, right? Um, as an artist, mm-hmm. he 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 his style is goes against the. Uh, it's like Sinkevich. I don't think either of them can really tell a quiet scene. Their style right. always overpowers something. But I think as a writer, it's entirely there in Simonson's work. And I think what's happening is. I mean, did you read his Fantastic Four before he took over as artist but was writing it and Rich Buckler was drawing it? Uh, probably not. Probably you, not. You should find it in trade because it's like a different writer. And yeah. it's not at the same time. It's very clearly Simonson. But mm-hmm. having Buckler and Sinnott draw it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it's entirely different. It's entirely different. Interesting. Um, because the humor and the humanity is much easier to come out when it doesn't look like every page is about to explode. <laughs> yeah, I, that may I, be I, it. I, I, no, th- no, no, and no. I think that Kirby, Kirby's work is incredibly dynamic, but Kirby could also make you believe in real people. Oh, yeah, I think so. I in, think in actually, Simonson as an artist can't. Mm-hmm. Kirby is actually pretty good at the, the quiet moments. You see other artists talk about it in the interviews. Like, admittedly, some of his stuff is stylized, but like you look at like some of those early... 
I think it was one of the Hernandez brothers pointed out this like really early issue of the Avengers where like Tony Stark like meets you know Pietro and Wandra at the airport and they're just all in their civilian clothes, but they just the body language is just awesome. Oh, just oh yeah, he's he's so good at that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a way that people just aren't now. Oh, I yeah. mean, I mean. Even even artists I love that don't do super uh, superhero stuff like Fabio Moon and Gabriel Ba, um, their stuff is beautiful. And, but I mean, really, you can count the fingers of one hand who's actually really good at body language without showing off about it. You know, yes. even even someone like um, Dave McKean, who is an amazing illustrator and mm-hmm. just can do stuff that's so true to life. You get pulled out of it by the fact that he's Dave McKean and he will remind you of that. Right. I mean, I mean, really, you're talking like Hernandez brothers and God, I don't know who else. Well, I mean, really, your 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 list is very small when it gets to people who can, who have such good command of body language and are confident enough to not try and show off somewhere else in the page, whether it's in panel layouts or right. storytelling or something. Right. That they can just let the story happen. Right. Which should be a perfect segue into the man with the getaway face. But before we get there, I do want to say, and she's a little outside of the scope of the, who we're talking about immediately, but oh my God, Kate Beaton. Uh, her, like, I think that her, her Great Gatsby strip where she's just taking the piss on the Great Gatsby, I'm just uh- like... The Kate, body language, yes, and the Kate clothes. is actually an astoundingly good illustrator, and I think that it gets overlooked sometimes because a she's so funny, mm-hmm. and b her style is really unassuming. Yeah, but her, her, but super at the illustration, I mean, it's just amazingly good. I would, first of all, I can't believe that she doesn't have a book deal, or if she does have a book deal, that she's keeping it so quiet and the publishers are keeping it so quiet. I can't right. believe people are not collecting all of her books and paying her to do you know, massively successful books. It, it yeah. astounds me. Yeah. Um, but she's, she's an amazing illustrator. Isn't she? I just, I mean, the Great Gatsby stuff was great. And I mean, the... When, when her... she does Edward Gorey-inspired uh, strips. <sighs> yeah. I and mean, it's just... Yeah, she's uh, she is... I, I'm just going to completely gush, because as you know, I'm completely in love with Gabe Eden, but... Mm-hmm. She's such a wonderful talent. She's yeah. such a wonderful illustrator. She is such a good writer. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's so fucking funny. It's amazing. That that Aquaman strip, I saw. Oh, Aqu- yeah, I know. I've gone to that, like, maybe, like, I don't know, at least once every other day, because just the thing of Aquaman hoarding sand makes me laugh. Just, just that makes me laugh. Everything else is great, but that whole thing where he's, like, hoarding up all the sand and glaring at her... It's just awesome. Like you know, who she reminds me of, and this might be a reference that doesn't really resonate with you because I think it's a British thing. Posey Simmons. Oh, um, I totally right. see Kate Beaton as she gets older, moving into long form things, and I think she's already shown that she could do serious work and tragic work, and I'd love to see her try it. I oh, completely, I completely love to see someone out there at first second whoever just pay her to do a full-length book and say whatever you want yeah yeah yeah, absolutely she would she would be the the winner of the the blank check award like just whatever because i i i do i i don't you know it's interesting posey simmons i definitely have seen her work i see the i see the comparison i've never quite gotten into her have you read Gemma Wolverine? No, which is was one of it's, the. It's yeah. it's it's the one you should read. It's the mm-hmm. one where you read and you'll just think, "Holy crap, she blows everyone else out the water." Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that. That of course is what I heard. Like you know, the comics Hibs and Sue at Comics Experience just could not stop raving about that. Book. Yeah, it's 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 astoundingly good. It's breathtaking, and it, it's a, it's one of those things that you think. Why do more people not know about Posey Simmons? Why, why, why is Posey Simmons not... I mean, she'd never go, but why is Posey Simmons not getting invited as the guest of honour to comic conventions? Why is she not winning awards in comics? Well, maybe she's winning awards in European comics? I mean, I don't know. It, it's uh, 
there's a weird like we have some very weird blinders in the comics world and one of those is kind of like I think we're not even aware that we have some of the hype machine in place that we do or it's in place and there are certainly people who know about it but they're very good about kind of keeping it under wraps but you know you get something like oh I don't know um you know I'm just going to go come out and say it although I think that it was kind of a um brilliant in its ambition I kind of thought that bottomless belly button was kind of a was kind of a meh book you know um I think you, you say that as a um, body world. This new book is literally staring me in the face. It's, oh, it's on. It's on my desk. It's something that I need to read. I, right. I started it, and as far as I got into it, I thought it was interesting, but I didn't clearly think it was interesting enough to continue. Yeah. Well, I mean, sometimes that happens. And is it? It's is it as thick or as long as? Uh, as yeah, it's as... it's it's a big book. Okay. <laughs> so I mean, that can kind of happen. I mean, I I tore through Bottomless Belly Button, and I thought that it was, um, like, there were some scenes that were pretty great that I was like really completely caught up in, but at the same time, and and actually, Laura Hudson's uh, some of the pieces that she did in Comics Foundry, where she talked about the book and had cracked the code and she got um, Dash Shaw to do sort of a, a really wonderful introduction page where he talks about the characters and the themes and it's just beautifully laid out like that page I adored um, but it's fine like I mean it's like okay and I mean it really knocked people on their ass and um, uh, yeah, but I, th- I think that's all the uh... That comes down to expectations again. Do you know what I mean? It's like well, by, the time, the by, the time I read, by the time I read Blankets, right. I was like, huh, this is what everyone liked? Right, I but see, exactly. But, uh, sorry, we're talking over each other. Kate's going to have to come in and, you know, like... Exactly, she'll have to bitch slap me. Stop talking <laughs> over Jeff. <laughs> or if she were here, she should probably do it for me. But uh, I, I will just say very quickly it, that that's sort of exactly what I'm talking about is there was a hype machine kind of in place that, I mean, I think it was very organic in a way that it came out that year at SPX, like blankets just kicked everybody's ass and suddenly everyone was talking about it. And I remember uh, Archico Johnson's uh, The Night Fisher, I think, mm-hmm. um, is that what it's called? Yes. It had a similar thing. Is, was it The Night Fisher? It's the night something. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, is it the night uh, watchman? It's, it's, it could be the night fisher. I, you, yeah, you'd let think me see. I would look up the internet, wouldn't you? I, I am attacking it now. Uh, yes, it is the night fisher. Or it's just, sorry, night fisher. Oh, and, <laughs> uh, and I was, I was real, I was, I was whelmed. You know what I mean? I was not. <laughs> I was not overwhelmed by. Nor underwhelmed. Sure. Just yeah, whelmed. just pretty whelmed. Like he had a gorgeous, gorgeous cartooning style, but I, I was really. I mean, and his his illustrations still knock me out. That guy is you, so talented. You are, by the way, completely describing my reaction to Chris Ware. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Ah, Chris Ware, I think, is technically wonderful, and I that's pretty much the extent of my adoration of him. <laughs> well, it, was that one of those things where you didn't really look at his work? Yeah, it was one of those things that, like, you know, it was after Jimmy Corrigan had won the uh, Guardian Prize in Britain. Ah, uh, I see, I see. And I was like, I'll check it out. And I was like, mm, this is good. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I, and ever since then, people were like, you know, oh, the new Acme's out. I looked at it and I, you know my head exploded and then I turned into a rainbow and then came back as, you know, a completely understood comics in a whole new way. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. I, you know, it's, it's another book about how alienated he is that looks nice. You know, like, well... I just, I just don't get it. And like, I recognize that it's there. And this is something that I've said before, but mm-hmm. it comes back to me thinking I'm reading it wrong. Right. Um, I th- well okay there there's a couple of different things going on. Uh, I definitely came in uh to the Chris Ware thing right when Acme Novelty Library number 1 came out the first issue of the, of the comic 
um, which of course he'd been doing, you know, it in the Texas newspaper. Well, well, I saw the Beatles in the cavern, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I don't. I, I just mean this in sort of a contextual way of like it was it was picking it up as an unassuming comic, yeah. and it really um, it made your head explode and you turned into a rainbow. Well, not not so much. I, 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 I say that in like a, a snarky bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you, had, you had a very strong reaction to it. Um, I, I think what it is is it it's – God, what is it? It's not so much like a, oh, my God, this rewrote comics. It, it was just very much a um, – you know, I, I think there's kind of a – it's that weird conception. Like there's kind of a um, – some sort of uh, direct correlative that you can draw between how acceptable you find um, statements of alienation and the scale at which they're being presented to you. You know what I mean? Like it's, it can be unbelievably touching when you're reading it on like an anonymous web page that you've, you've um, stumbled across and unbelievably exasperating when that ends up like being the center of somebody's first novel, I guess, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. and so Really, at that point, I mean, Fanographics had published a bunch of great guys, but they were tapering off, and the next wave of really tremendous cartoonists hadn't really quite arrived, like, at least to um, somebody who's kind of kind of well-connected, but not amazingly well-connected, like I was not tracking the Fort Thunder stuff. Uh, which really didn't, you know, Kevin has aside, a lot of that didn't do much for me uh, later. But but it really was just of the thing that's amazing is it, almost impossible to sort of um, impart is how unassuming that first issue of novelty seems. Like, it's completely fastidious, um, but, the, but it, it, really, I, it, it really broke my heart. Like, and I can see where looking at it as a cumulative book can't really have that same factor. It's, it becomes, because all that detail adds up, I mean, separate and apart from everything in terms of how it's being presented to you as, you know, one of the best books of the year, um, just the, the accretion of detail, you know, almost ends up like you, you can only see the edifice. You know, it, it's it's yeah, almost... I, and I I think that's one really one of my problems with with Where's work. Mm-hmm. Like I I I am so distracted with the style that I can't that I I find it really hard to get to the substance to the right. point where I'm not sure there's substance. Right, right. Um, and and I can see that I've I obviously feel that there's there's actually a tremendous amount of of substance there. Um, my problem is that it. I mean, certainly I have a lot more. I fall more into the the formalist camp than you do. I think we've established that, so that made it a lot easier for those first ten or so issues. Um, I admit that I, but but even switching it up to that sort of larger hard co- slim hardcover book where it's like you're getting you know however many forty pages or sixty pages at a go of where's um, chalky white stuff, it's too much for me. I'm kind of like I need it sort of at that kind of um, more palatable comic book sized format in that it seems like something that is. Uh, um, where it's that perfect mix of like organic and um, constructed, you know, like there's a there's a blend there. Like I don't know. I mean, this is you're of course to follow this up. You're the absolute wrong person to talk about this with in a way. But the announcements <laughs> of Alan Moore's um, upcoming musical projects um, <laughs> could not. I cannot imagine anything that I am looking forward to less. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm. I'm oh yes, you can. Fan. Mark Miller's upcoming musical project. I mean, come on. It, I, and this is this is from someone who, again who is not a massive Miller fan. Right. It will be interesting. Right. You know, I mean, it, it could be and probably will be incredibly um, pretentious and. Oh sure. Uh, having little points beyond making everyone feel very smart. 
Well, yeah, okay, yes. But it's probably not going to be dull. Yeah, I wish that I could say that that was really going to be the truth. But um, and I say I say that's my sad thing for the musical people involved. Well, no, I know, but that's um, I mean that that's kind of the ray of hope, such as it is, and also for me, kind of the the nail in the coffin about it, kind of because I I do feel that the that you know Damon Albarn or Mike Patton are idiosyncratic artists enough um, that you would hope that they would sort of take things and turn it around, but it's you know, this is not, I expect this is not going to be West Side Story where, you know, Leonard Bernstein and Stephen Sondheim and Jeremy Robbins are all basically coming to blows over how to make this thing work. I think, you know, Alan Moore is going to have all this, like, infinitely structured stuff, and he's going to walk into the studio, and he and Mike Patton, or he and Damon Albarn, are going to smoke, you know, a spliff the size of a small child, and then they're going to work on it for like 27 hours and it's going to be like if someone had turned Finnegan's Wake into a carpet. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of that's I I was I'm totally with you up until you got to the turn into a carpet part. <laughs> and the funny thing is all of that you could still project music. Yeah, it it probably will, but I think that there's there's going to be something you know, I think that this this may be directly related to the number of gray hairs in my head, most of which are in the process of falling out. I'm kind of finding myself having... Well, it's a two-stage process. I actually think that maybe as my attention span gets dramatically curtailed by the internet, um, and as I get sort of older and, and foggier, like... That, that the idea of having something that is so kind of richly textured that you're just going to be able to pour over it for hours, kind of. And who knows? I mean, they haven't said anything. They they could be doing something absolutely and completely different. But I just assume where Alan Moore is involved, we're basically uh, going to be getting uh, something in sort of the Pink Floyd The Wall kind of version of epic musicness, you know, even if it's just sort of the epic ambition of like, well, I'm tackling the sum of human experiences filtered through a comic book writer's experiences in the industry as filtered through Mike Patton's yodeling well, as well, filtered you, through... You, you know what the, the Albarn thing is, right? Uh, I forgot. What is it It's again? It's essentially uh, the history of John Bull, i.e., um, the history of England. Oh, right. See, I, okay. I, said, I said that and you can't see me in listeners, neither can you, but I said the history of England and then gave you a knowing look as in, <laughs> I think that's exactly what you've been talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for imparting that, Graham. Uh, you're right. Exactly. I mean, I must've read something. I was like, I couldn't remember if it was John D or what was, no, maybe it's John D. Maybe I'm getting John D. I, I, I think it might be John D. Actually, so again, it's like the history of magic and communication, and you know the English transit system. You've got a problem with the history of human communication. Seriously, what what's with you? Yeah, you know, I'm 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 a big fan. I'm a huge fan. I just, but I'm also kind of tired of hearing Alan Moore talk about it at this point. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, it's like about no, no, the no, third no. or fourth I, time I, he's I, tackled I, it. I completely understand, but I think. I think there's two things in this. I think one of which is um, I feel like you're almost damning that level of ambition when what you really mean to do is damn more. Uh, well, okay. Here's the thing. On the on the one hand, yes. May, may, maybe, I mean, I certainly think that there's ways in which a lot of other comic book creators are kind of... E- too easily pleased um, these days in some ways um, and I do I, I am usually super pleased with ambition and so yeah I'm tired of that from Alan Moore but somebody else could come along with a new take on it um, and I would be surprised and delighted again I think that's it there's kind of a factor there's a weird sweet spot between nostalgia and delight and surprise that when you get that it it that's what really excite ends up exciting me as a reader. So it's like if I get kind of what I 
want, but in a way that I didn't expect that I was going to get it, um, I'm pretty excited about it. And I think it's one of those areas where, unfortunately, the longer that, particularly for writers, um, maybe uh, artists and cartoonists as well, the longer that you're in a field, the easier it gets to predict what you are going to do. Yes. And at that Uh, I right. feel you are completely making this into a segue about Darren Cook and the man with the gate every face. I think I am, yeah. Uh, you know I, what? I think we should stop and then restart because we're also past an hour, which means at some point one of us is going to go wobbly. Yes, although you, you had a little bit there, and I kind of let you go because it was just dropping a little bit on the Simons and stuff. Um, only your good points got wiped out. So that's, I figured that's it was. because they're, they're way antenna. It's good to know that everything. <laughs> That's not true. I'm actually thinking that I should uh, I should go pick up a couple of those visionaries. So, um, let me call you back in about yes. five minutes. Then, yes, bye, bye, listeners. I think you should come back for the next episode. <laughs> yes, tune in tomorrow when you hear Graham and Millie day. Uh, fuck. <laughs>